This week, I, I received an email, and it was announcing something unfortunate. It said, camp is canceled. And it went on to go that this particular camp that my daughter's been going to the last couple of years, and even a few people from our church community, uh, that this camp has hosted camps for the last 84 years. They have not stopped. And yet this year, they're not hosting a camp. And, you know, tons of camps and campers around the country are disappointed because they're canceled. But the director moved from a more of a somber tone to a more positive tone. And, and he said this in his letter. He said, we're going to use this summer with less people around and less campers. And we're going to make this place even better for next year's experience. And I loved reading that. There was something about that that just spoke to my spirit. Because in a, he was trying to say, we're, we're, you know, we're not just going to walk through this season of disruption. We're actually going to grow through this season. And this has been something that I've been starting to feel for me, um, for us as a church community, for, for the season we're in, that it's one thing to just walk through this. My heart is, what if we determine to grow through this? And we can say this is whatever, this season, this moment, but to not walk, just walk through it, but to grow through it. You know, that, that's similar to what the Apostle Paul is trying to do with Timothy in this letter in 2 Timothy as he writes to this young, uh, newer church pastor in the first century. Paul is like a mentor and Timothy is like a mentee. And Paul, as we described last week, uh, as we looked at this text, often experienced a lot of suffering. And he still was when he was penning this letter from prison. He was at the hands of the empire that was oppressing him and persecuting him, and he was experiencing some difficulty in ministry and some setbacks. And he anticipated that Timothy would also experience some of these similar obstacles. And so he tells Timothy, fan into flame the gift of God. We recognized last week that he's speaking about the gift of God's very own spirit, the Holy Spirit. And he goes on to tell Timothy, Timothy, you know, the fear that you're experiencing is not coming from God. It might be coming from your surroundings, from your circumstances, but the Holy Spirit has not produced fear in you. Instead, he said, the Holy Spirit wants to nurture power and love and self-discipline in you. And last week, we looked at these first two um, ideas of power and love, that the Holy Spirit wants to nurture a power and love in us that resembles the way of Jesus. If you weren't with us last week, go back and listen to last week's message or on our podcast. You know, power and love, there, there may be more common themes, maybe more biblical themes, maybe themes we might, you know, uh, expect to, to read in the Bible or the New Testament. But, but this last theme is really unique, a unique way that the Holy Spirit would equip Timothy to grow through this season he's going to be approaching and possibly even thrive through it. Think about this, that he says, you know, that the Holy Spirit wants to produce in him a spirit of or an attitude of self-discipline or the sense of self-discipline. Some versions will use the word sound mind. You can translate it that way as well. And, and at first off, it kind of seems uncommon uh, or an uncommon result of the Spirit. I mean, you might say, is it really something the Spirit nurtures in us, self-discipline? And you're like, if it is, Lord, give me more of it. Uh, maybe it's like, well, it's not. doesn't sound like one of the more mysterious or supernatural or miraculous or sensational things that we read in the Scriptures that the Spirit does, or maybe that we've even experienced in our own life. 
But if you go to Galatians 5, where Paul writes to another church in the first century, he says that one of the fruits of the Spirit uh, is self-control, which is kind of a similar idea. And I want you to consider that what Timothy needs as he steps into this season, where he'll anticipate potential suffering or obstacles um, that, that, that would have been similar to Paul, his, the heartbeat for Paul is not that Timothy would just walk through it, but t- Timothy would grow through it and even flourish and be used by God. And so when you think about it, a sound mind or self-discipline is pretty helpful. It, it reflects things like uh, clear thinking or anticipating wisely or preparing thoroughly or the ability to act confidently, Right? And isn't, it's not, do you not think it's possible that maybe the Holy Spirit would equip Timothy with a strategic capacity for what lies ahead? That the Holy Spirit would equip him with a sound mind and the ability to think clearly for the season that's before him? And I like to think of that as strategic capacity. But how might Timothy actually grow in this? How might the Spirit actually nurture this in him? Of course, you know, one way we could just imagine is that the Spirit just does it and Timothy starts to grow in it. And that is partly how the, some of the fruit of the Spirit work. But there's something that I think we participate in and understand. And we, we get a little bit glimpse of this in, in another passage that Paul writes, Romans 12, verse 2, where Paul reminds us and reminds followers of Jesus that followers of Christ are not conformed to their surroundings. Or like Paul says, they're not conformed to the patterns of this world, but instead they're transformed by the renewing of their minds. In other words, as our minds are renewed, we become transformed and we're, we become able to discern God's will for our lives. And that kind of describes a sound mind. That kind of describes the ability to think clearly in what the Lord, where the Lord is leading us or what's before us. And, and I want us to think about it in this way. And here's this phrase that will come on the screen. Formation often leads to transformation. Just think about that for a second. Formation often leads to transformation. Now, we might think about this in a purely practical way. When we learn something or gain the ability to do something, we automatically feel like we're, we're newer in something. We, we've kind of like made a step up. We're able to do something now. And so I think about it this way. Formation leads to transformation, especially when the Holy Spirit's involved. Now, this is an important sequence to consider as the Holy Spirit nurtures a sound mind in us. If you're a young person today, if you're a youth, a teen or a young adult and you're listening, I really want you to pay attention to this because I've been thinking about you particularly this week and the last 10 days or so, especially with this eruption of just the revelation of injustice in our society. Because there's a longing in the human heart, but particularly I'm seeing it in youth, in youth culture today, a longing to respond to the injustices that are being revealed, to the injustices that have kind of risen to the surface of society and are becoming more known in the last week or two. They've always been there, but we're just getting to see them really in front of our face. And and there's a a beautiful desire to to do something, to act. And as I've been talking to young people, talking to my own kids, talking to youth, listening to them, watching things on social media, this is what I've been thinking. Imagine if you would let your heart be formed 
and your mind be formed as you're acting or before you act. There's a desire just to act quickly, just to do something, just to make something happen, just to respond or say something or post something. And I've been thinking, what could this generation do if their hearts were, and minds were formed? And, and this is what I mean by that. Let God shape your heart. Let God form your heart, number one. Number two, let you, uh, get to the heart of the issue, and that issue right now is racism and injustices. So let, let God shape your heart first with his heart, with his values, with his purposes. Then get to the heart of the issue that's going on and then allow God to stir those two things together, what's on God's heart and the heart of the issue of the time, and then let God guide you to do your part. That's number four. God's heart, the heart of the issue, let God stir those two things together and then guide you to do your part. That's an example of formation leading us towards transformation or action. And, you know, if you think of Pentecost, what we talked about last week and the day of Pentecost, the, the moment when after the, the, the resurrection of Jesus, 50 days later, when the Holy Spirit is poured out on the church, that's an example of formation to transformation. And here's what I mean by that. In Acts chapter 2, uh, we read that the Holy Spirit is poured out in a spectacular, spectacular way. It's incredible. And, and I think the temptation of the church would be that, oh, well, maybe God from moment to moment is always going to act in a spectacular way. There's always going to be an outpouring like that. There's always going to be something of the miraculous. But see, the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit moved them, we read that 3,000 people came to faith that day, started following Jesus, and the church started getting into gear. And this is what, how the Holy Spirit led them, all right? The Holy Spirit led them to prepare for the days ahead. And this is how the Holy Spirit leads them. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 says this, they, the first disciples, and now these 3,000, this, this new kind of church that is formed, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. That's what they devoted themselves to. The Spirit guided them to these practices that would form them as a church community, as God's people. Now, I want to just compare for a second with Paul's letter to Timothy because, see, Paul's letter to Timothy, we see some similar ways that the Spirit has formed Paul. We see a formation taking place in the early church. We see a formation taking place in Paul. So, so we read about how the early church uh, committed to the apostles' teaching. Well, here in, first, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, Paul says this. I love how he says it. He says, uh, let me just find it here. And he says, this grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So we see this core teaching of the gospel, this, this teaching of grace, this teaching that Christ Jesus, who abolished death in the cross and resurrection and brought to life. When we think about the apostles' teaching or the practice of this, we see this in Paul himself. He's trying to get to the core teaching of faith. It's part of his formation and part of Timothy's formation. But then there's a commitment or devotion to fellowship. And we read it right here. I mean, verse 4, 
Paul says, I recall your tears to Timothy. I long to see you so that you may be filled with joy. And then he says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. So think about that for a second. Here's this fellowship going on. Paul and Timothy have this this relationship in Christ, this fellowship, this communion that they share in Christ, this love and connection, and this multi-generational family of faith that they're talking about, a grandmother, a mother, a son. But then you get this this prayer as well. In in verse 3, uh, Paul says how, how he has been, pr- when, he, when he, he's so grateful and thankful for Timothy when he prays for him night and day. You can't miss this. This is like a code word for Paul's spiritual practices. It, it grew out of his Jewish practices, his Jewish faith he's, he was rooted in, but then as he became a Christ follower, it became part of the formational practice as he followed Christ. He would pray night and day. That is a pattern in his life. It's not just an evening and morning mention. It's the pattern that Paul would use daily to connect with God and pray and seek the Lord. And so this was a practice in Paul's life. And I want you to get this because in Acts 2 and even in Paul's life, we see this and it's so important to to notice these practices, these formational practices. And it led the church to flourish even in a hostile environment. Remember, right? During Pentecost, after the rising of Christ, the empire that killed Jesus were still going to go after his followers. It was a hostile environment. And these formational practices would enable and equip the church to thrive and grow even in that environment. See, see, these practices, this formation, creates an environment for the Holy Spirit to work and shape and guide. And years later, the Apostle Paul is is using those same formational practices because he knows that they lead to transformation as the Spirit works. And that's how Paul has mentored Timothy. And I think that that's partly why Paul says that the, and, and prays that the Spirit would, would produce in Timothy a self-discipline or, or a sound mind. So just think for a second, like just practically what self-discipline is. I mean, you might think of it like, I'm looking at the donut, I'm not going to take the donut, I'm not touching the donut, I'm walking away from the donut. Maybe you think that that's self-discipline. I get it. That is self-discipline. I mean, obviously it is. But self-discipline is more than that. It's kind of like that, but more. It's, it's really all about priorities, right? How do you prioritize your time? How do you prioritize who and what influences you? How do you prioritize your learning? If you want to grow, you need to learn. How are you prioritizing that? How do you prioritize your contemplation? Do you prioritize contemplation? Not just to have an active life, but a contemplative life. And then how do you prioritize your action? When, when we read that the Spirit wants to produce in us a self-discipline, It's this idea that the Spirit wants to lead us in our priorities, the kind of priorities that are going to develop a sound mind and clear thinking, strategic capacity to be able to discern God's will and move in it. And the Holy Spirit wants to produce that in us. And so as we think about formation, it's it's what we need not just to walk through this season, but to grow through this season. The church needed it in Acts 2. Paul needed it in his life. He's mentoring Timothy to understand that he needs it and we need it. 
And here's why. Because God wants you and me to be stronger after this season. God wants you and me to be more resilient after this season. God wants you and me to walk through this season and get to the end of this season more hopeful and also wiser and also with greater capacity and also more prepared to be a more prepared people for his mission and his life. I believe that that's what God wants for you and for me, that he doesn't want us just to walk through this season, but to grow through this season. And that's part of the promise of the Holy Spirit, that he would nurture in us a self-discipline, or a sound mind. But how, that, how the Holy Spirit does that is that we offer ourselves in these formational practices and allow him to work. And we so need it if we want to discern God's will, like Paul says in Romans 12. There's a great story, a true story, about a man named Eugene Brown. And he started something called the Big Chair Chess House in Washington, D.C., now it's um, all over North America. Now, Eugene Brown grew up in D.C., in the inner city, and um, he got himself in a lot of trouble. Um, he, he, he didn't do great all the time, and he wound up in a detention center. He eventually wound up in jail for several years. And in prison, he found someone that was able to escape prison through an activity, and it was chess. And this mentor mentored Eugene, and Eugene was able to get through prison learning chess. In fact, his mentor said that the two things that would help him escape the prison cell in his mind was his Bible and his chessboard. It's pretty cool. So Eugene learned chess. When Eugene came out of prison, he was looking for work, and he found a job as a janitor at a school, and he needed to help a detention class one day. And so he helps this class, and, and he just sits there, and he thinks, I'm going to teach these kids chess. And this little detention center eventually becomes a chess club in town, and he decides to help kids in the inner city develop a better vision for their life by learning chess. And this is what he meant by that. Because when you play chess, you always must think before you move. And that was his model. Think before you move. And he wanted to instill in these kids that to, to gain a vision for life and to actually live out your life, you must think before you move. Not just on the chessboard, but on the game board of life. And, I, and here's, here's Paul as he's, he's talking to Timothy. And as they're anticipating a season that might have some obstacles, that he knew that Timothy would need to think clearly. And he wanted to make sure Timothy recognized that God didn't give him a spirit of fear or give him the fear that maybe he was feeling because of his circumstances. He was giving him a nurturing power and love and self-disciplined and a sound mind. The ability to think clearly so this young church pastor could lead this young church under an oppressive empire. And so that's why Paul says, fan into flame the gift of God. Because the Holy Spirit, yes, wants to nurture power and love and give you the gifts of teaching and preaching and pastoring. But he also wants to nurture in you self-discipline and a sound mind to help you and to help us. To help me discern God's will from day to day. I need that. You need that. At home and at work, with your family, 
in the struggles you're having with your kids, in the difficulty in how to lead your company, in what it means to, to navigate work and, and home uh, you know, balance these days, what it means for ministry and mission, what it means for our church. We need this. We need God's Holy Spirit to nurture in us a self-discipline, a sound mind, so we can move forward and not just move through this season, but grow through this season. But this doesn't happen magically. It's a partnership. As we make room for the work of the Holy Spirit with these ancient formational practices that we read in Acts 2 that we see Paul engaging in, we must engage these practices. It makes room for God to work. So let me ask you as we close, what might happen if we fan into flame the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in our church? What might happen if we make room through the formation of these ancient practices for the Holy Spirit to nurture a sound mind in us so we can learn to think clearly before we move, not just in our own thinking, but also empowered by the Spirit? And I believe that we will not only walk through this season, but we will grow through it. And if we grow through it, we will be ready for whatever happens on the other side of the season. I pray that this helps us um, in this season in special ways.